So uh, about 10 years ago, Sherry and I and one of our sons were at an orientation meeting for a travel soccer uh, team. One of our sons had been invited to join this team. We were all there because... Uh, Sherry said the coaches called and made it really clear that if, if uh, our son's going to sign up, we all have to be at this meeting. Okay, that should have been a, a little bit of a clue. It wasn't a clue. I was a little slow on the uptake. But there was no opportunity to miss the main point because like 30 seconds in to this meeting, coach was uh, had been a professional soccer player in Europe. He was over here. 30 seconds in after the briefest of introductions and welcoming remarks, he said, I just want to say what I say every year. Uh, that if you choose to sign up to be a part of this team, if your son chooses to sign up to be part of this team, uh, this needs to become not just his highest priority, but your family's highest priority. Higher than school, higher than any other teams, higher than music, higher than any vacations you might take, higher than your job, higher than anything else, this team will become your family's highest priority. And I, I looked at Sherry and I said, let's get out of here. Uh, this is not, this is a 10-year-old soccer team. Oh, my goodness. And she goes, just calm down, just calm down. And so we agreed not to make a scene. We'd stay for the meeting. So I, I sat back and I'm watching this because it's, it's clear he's not going to be on this team. I would have thought it was idolatrous to sign up at that point. So uh, he's not going to be a part of the team. But I'm just watching this guy, watching this coach, and I move from being a little ticked at him uh, to, to sort of being fascinated by him. And then I became sort of ad- an admirer. I'm like, wow, like that took guts. I think you're wacko. I mean, it's a 10-year-old soccer team, but you called the question. You set it out there. You said This is what it takes. You've got to have priorities, and this is going to be your highest priority. So uh, I thought that was uh, a point that I filed away. And today I'm going to be, for better or worse, a little bit like that soccer coach. Now, uh, let me back up and say that um, we started last week with the first of two parts of this series, and it was on... The church. And I said, uh, look, God showed up 2,000 years ago as a man, fully God, remained fully God. He became fully man. He loved, he taught, he set an example. Ultimately, he dies for us in our place. And along the way, he launched a movement, right? He gave birth to, to a group. Uh, he had a mission. He has a mission. It is to, is to seek and to save, it is to redeem and restore. He, he, he wants to bring his values, grace, hope, love. He wants to bring that and spread that throughout this broken world. So he has a mission, and in order to fulfill his mission, he launches this movement of his followers. And he uses the word, he's the first guy to use the word uh, church, ecclesia in the Greek. He reaches back into uh, Greek philosophy, pulls out this obscure uh, term. It's a political term. And it, and it doesn't refer to a building, and it doesn't refer to a worship service, and it doesn't refer to an institution. It refers to a group of people who are called out to be part of something together. And, uh, and so Jesus launches this church. And he says at the time that he launches it in Matthew 16 that it will prevail. 
that the church is going to ultimately go and grow and kick down the gates of hell. And uh, we looked at some things. I said, you know, look, there's, there's things that we need to learn about the church. It's got to be characterized by at least four things, by teaching from the Bible, by prayer, by fellowship, and by the sacraments. Uh, we noted that all, for all the high and lofty language, I said, we've got to admit that the church has on more than one occasion lost its way. Uh, the, the people who say they're a part of a church have seemed to run in the opposite direction, and so we got all these black eyes of the Crusades and Inquisition and sexual scandals and other things. But in spite of that, uh, the church has been a pretty consistent engine for the common good. And uh, people have changed and, and, and gotten involved in promoting the welfare of others and reaching out to the poor, helping launch campaigns for literacy and education and hospitals and orphanages and shelters and other things. And uh, the church has survived. Uh, it is now the oldest, largest, most significant, most global, most ethnically diverse institution on the planet, and it moves forward. And then we looked at some metaphors for the church. I said it doesn't get defined really tightly in the New Testament, but we have word pictures, the family of God, the bride of Christ, the, the, the body of Christ. I looked at some other non-biblical metaphors, a field hospital, an aircraft carrier, a, 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 you know, a local bar. We looked at all kinds of different pictures that people have of the church. Today, I want to do something specific. Yes, last week I wanted to, to launch, I wanted to, to disrupt you a little bit. I wanted you to think about the church differently than you might be thinking about it. Today my goal is to talk a little bit like the coach. I have a particular argument that I'm going to make, and I'll explain why I'm making it at the end, but I have a particular argument that I want to make, and that is that you, you really, we really need to go all in. And when we decide to go all in with God, right, then we have to go down the path he has set out for us, right? He defines what all in looks like, and all in includes his church. So I want to set in front of you a half dozen reasons why I think this is a good idea. And uh, before I do that, let me clean up a couple loose ends here. Uh, I want to be clear, first of all, that uh, the church is not perfect or close, nor are any of the people who make up the church. So there are some who think that by virtue of being a Christ follower, by virtue of being part of a church, that they're better than other people. So that, that's, that's a wrong thought. So when I talk with my Hindu neighbor or my Muslim neighbor or when I talk with an atheist, I never think I'm better than they are, that I'm a better dad or I'm a better husband or I'm a better neighbor or friend. I don't, I don't think that, right? That's, that's not what gets promised. What, what is promised about the church is that those who are Christ followers are forgiven and that if we follow Christ, a better version of us emerges, Right? Not better than them, but better than we would have been if we follow Christ. The second thing I want to be sure you understand is that though I am talking a little bit like this coach and saying, right, you gotta, you got to figure this out. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to give your life to. 
really, I would want to switch that whole approach around and say, this is what God sets in front of us because he loves us. And this isn't a, a have to as much as it's a get to. Right? This, if, if we were all-knowing, right, if we could see the beginning from the end, if we could see into eternity, if we knew things as God knew them, and if we had the kind of will that actually allowed us to just do what we knew was best, we would pursue the kind of community and calling we find in the church. We would run in that direction. So this is a get to. God loves you. God wants the best for you. And this is a path towards the best. So I'm setting this in front of you now because we have options. Boy, howdy, do we have options. They go in every direction. The higher our standard of living, the more options we have. The more options we have, the more we feel stressed because we can't do everything. Right? And, and we're not very good at saying no. We're not very good about walking away from certain opportunities. And so we try to do too much. That's sort of what characterizes people today. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's doing too much. Everybody's running around. And, and part of what we need to understand is we can't do everything. And we've got to exercise that no muscle uh, more than we do. And we've got to figure out what really ultimately matters. Your life is perfectly organized to give the results you're getting, right? Your life, what you do, how you think, it is perfectly organized to give you the results that you're getting. If you want different results, we've got to change some of the equation. And so I want to make an argument for going all in with God. And I want to give you half a dozen reasons why I think you should do this. Number one, because the church is God's plan. It's not the disciples' plan. It's not my plan. It's not an institution that grew out, during, out of the Middle Ages. It's God's plan. God is the one who came up with the church. He has a mission to bring about grace, hope, and love, to bring about restoration and reconciliation with, with, his, with his people and, and with everything. He has a plan, and to fulfill that plan, he started the church. It's his idea, and it is a good idea. Um, he wants us to multiply communities of grace, hope, and love based on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. We are to be about loving God, serving others, and reaching out to one. So um, last week I said that many people think Jesus is good, but not everybody thinks Jesus is smart. Uh, and I realize from time to time that I do think I know better than God. And, uh, and so I just want to say one of the reasons to double down on God, on the church, is because this is God's plan and he knows best. Number two is related, and that is that it is a good plan. Uh, it's been working for 2,000 years. The church has survived against remarkable odds, right? So uh, had you pitted, had you gone back 2,000 years ago and said, okay, in, in one corner, there was a big fight last night, so we could set it up that way. On the one corner, we got, uh, we got the Roman Empire, uh, and on the other corner, we've got uh, the church. Uh, who's going to win? 
right? I mean, Vegas odds would have been off the charts on the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is going to win. The Roman Empire was lasting. The Roman Empire was stable. The church was a handful of really sort of inconsequential people in the backwaters of this massive empire. And yet, over the next 300 years, the church grows and grows and grows, and the Roman Empire collapses under its own weight and in light of a different ethic and a different value. The church has survived. There's five times, historians say, five times that the church sort of faced a a real existential crisis. G.K. Chesterton said, five times the church appeared to go to the dogs, and five times it was the dog that died. So um, I, I, I think this is a big deal in part because we tend to think stable things are going to last, but there's no reason to assume that that's true. When I was working as a management consultant, I had a, an epiphany one day. I ran across an old Wall Street Journal. It was like 15 years old. And I'm sort of reading it, and I'm sort of laughing and going, oh, yeah, something's never changed. And then I looked, and I said, oh, my goodness. And I started really digging in, and I said, so a lot of the companies that we talk about today didn't exist 15 years ago. And a lot of the companies that everybody thought were blue chip, solid, bet your retirement, that were back then, are gone now, right? So I made a list at that time. Polaroid, Compact, Blockbuster, E.F. Hutton, Pan Am, Woolworths. I mean, there's this long list of companies that, that were on the pap- in the paper, right? They were the mainstay 15 years ago, and they're not around today. They didn't last 50 years. The church has lasted 2,000 years. It is a good plan. A third reason that I think you should go all in with God and consequently with the church is because Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. In John 6, there is a moment where uh, uh, Jesus sort of issues a really harsh call to the crowd. He talks like the coach. If you want to, you know, if you, if you go through the Gospels, you'll see that the crowds grow when Jesus is feeding everybody and healing everybody and performing miracles. The crowds get big. And then Jesus usually has, a, uh, has the coach conversation and talks about what it's going to look like to follow him, and the crowds get small. And then the crowds get big, and Jesus says something, in the, and it drops off, and the crowds get small. So right after, in John 6, late in John chapter 6, Jesus gives one of these coach talks like, this is what it's going to take if you want to follow me. You're going to have to go all in. And uh, a whole bunch of people walk away. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, um, so how about you? Are, are you going to stay? And Peter says, well, where else would we go? Right? You alone have the words of eternal life. Right? We're persuaded that you are who you claim to be, where else are we going to go? A plan doesn't have to be perfect uh, to be the best plan. It just has to be better than other plans, right? And when it comes to living a life of purpose and living in light of eternity, I would submit to you, uh, the church is not perfect. As, you know, last week I said, as many things as you think are wrong with the church, my list is longer, right? Because I'm on the inside, I see all the dirt, Right? The the church is a flawed institution because it's made of flawed people. And if you find the perfect church, 
for heaven's sake, don't join it because you would ruin it because you're not perfect either. So uh, it's better than its option. Number four, the fourth reason we should invest in the church is because we need each other. And when the church is working, it is, it is cultivating community. So I, I beat this drum a lot for a bunch of reasons. First of all, because I didn't get it for a long time. And I didn't understand, uh, had sort of lost my way. I had lots and lots of, like, level one friends, but I didn't have the kind of significant friendships that I needed. And it took my wonderful wife pointing this out to me before I got some clarity. Secondly, I see it all the time uh, as a pastor now when I go into a hospital and I see somebody who's, who's in the hospital. Sometimes I walk in and there's, you know, there's 15 people in the room, right? Because there's, there's community and there's life and there's, there's, everybody is there. And other times I think, you know, I'm probably the only one stopping by today. And, and I see the difference that makes. And I saw it as a patient when I was in the hospital for six weeks, right? I saw who had people come by and who didn't. And, and I just, I, I came to realize that we've got to be intentional with this. I understand this increasingly because, uh, because I now am in conversations with more than a few men who have retired and who have nothing going on. And, and they, they don't have hobbies and they don't have friends and it, they either come and, and want to hang out or their wives call me and say, I'm sending him to you, fix him. Do not send him back until you have fixed him. Uh, so I, I see that we've got to do this. And technology, for all the upsides of technology, one of the things it clearly does is it drives us apart from other people because we can do so many things by ourselves now. And so uh, I, I argue that uh, we need the church because the church is always going to force us. If it's doing its job, the church is always going to force us to be in community with other people. A fifth reason why you should go all in with the church is because nothing else will pay the kind of returns that the church will. So I can come at this from two different angles. One, there was a study done three or four years ago. The University of Pennsylvania, an economist, set out to study the value to Philadelphia of 12 congregations. Ten Protestant churches, a Roman Catholic church, and a Jewish synagogue. And this was a, this was a secular academic study. What is the economic value? That was the question that was being asked. What is the economic value of these 12 churches? And you can read the study. They set up 52 markers, and they did this over a longitudinal time. And they came out, and they said, the value of these 12 congregations to Philadelphia is over $50 million a year in terms of the way they help people and make life work. But let's come at it a different way. So I occasionally hear people lament that uh, they didn't buy a certain stock. Or perhaps that they did buy a certain stock. But what I'm talking about is that they didn't buy a certain stock. And if they're older, I'll occasionally hear, wow, I really should have bought McDonald's in the 60s. Or I should have bought Walmart in the 70s. I should have bought Microsoft in the 80s. I should have bought Starbucks in the 90s. I should have bought Amazon. I should have bought Google. I should have bought Netflix, right? I should have done these things. If I had done that, if I had made that investment back then, think about how much money I would have. 
yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, wow, hindsight's twenty twenty, whatever. But then I say, look, but time out. <laughs> Don't be thinking about the next 30 years, right? You're going to live forever. Think about the next 3,000 years. Think about the next 3 million years. Think about eternity. What kind of investments do you need to be making with who you are, with your gifts, abilities, your talents, your time, the things that God has given you that are going to pay in light of eternity? Right? The definition of a fool is that you're not looking ahead. You've got to look ahead more than just to retirement. We need to live today in light of eternity. Nothing is going to pay the return that the kingdom of God is going to pay. Number six. The sixth reason that uh, I think you should go all in with the church is because if the church isn't working then nothing else has a chance. So I've made this argument numerous times, uh, and it's based on a handful of data points. Other people make the argument differently. So Charles Malik, uh, a Lebanese academic, PhD from Harvard, who was the guy who sort of wrote the uh, United Nations uh, human rights policies and was the president of the UN, Malik argued that there were seven institutions in society. Uh, the family, the state, business, the church, universities, the professions. Um, I'm missing one, but whatever. He had seven institutions. And he then argued that if the church wasn't doing its job, none of the other institutions had a long-term fighting chance. And, and And a different way to spin this would be to say, If people, if the majority of people don't have a sense of who they are before God and don't try to live a good life in light of God, we can't hire enough police to keep order, right? We we just can't hire enough police to make people who are not thinking in light of a higher calling to live well. Our founders said, something like this, John Adams said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Os Guinness develops this with his golden uh, triangle that, that faith requires, faith leads to virtue and virtue leads to freedom and freedom leads to faith, but you got to keep all three of those things going. If you lose one, it all comes undone. I would just submit to you that uh, we desperately need the church to go and grow. I often think the most patriotic thing we can do <laughs> is to see the church grow. It's the best thing for our country. The final reason that I'm going to share with you that I think you should go all in for the church is because uh, it's going to win. Right? So it's, it's just a matter of getting on board with who's going to win. Church is going to win. The church is going to prevail. There is no plan B because God said plan A is going to work. Right? The church will prevail. God is going to win. God's plan is going to come about. I know, especially in the last weeks, there's a lot of reasons to say, God, really, are you watching this? I mean, there's a lot of things that are going wrong. I mean, nationally, all the ugly, racist comments. Internationally, we've got, we've got North Korea. I mean, we, we, could, we could go, we could, we could look at Houston and hurricanes. There's a lot of things that appear to be going wrong. But when you read the book, <laughs> you see that that was all sort of stated. 
This world is broken, right? We're gonna, we're, we should not grow weary of doing good. We need to prevail. We need to fight. We need to try and push back the night and evil. But we need to understand that the ultimate victory is only going to come with God. But God will come. God will prevail. So, look, I got into this, this particular series um, because of a conversation I was in early in the summer. A couple of years ago, I wrote this book on, on, on the future, and it wasn't from a particularly Christian vantage point. It wasn't what I was trying to do. And from time to time, I get calls from people who have read the book, and they want to interact. And there was a guy uh, who called, and we ended up getting together. And when he realized that I was a Christ follower— the conversation, he felt a little betrayed, and the conversation uh, went down a different path. And he didn't come right out and say, how could you be wasting your life in the church? But he pretty much did. And so I found that my uh, arguments were not necessarily persuading him. And so I, uh, I just said, look, you know, I don't think I'm wasting my life at all. One of us clearly is on the wrong track, uh, I'll take another look at mine. You've got to take a look at yours. Right? And so I went back, and I tried to, to in, in good conscience, sort of do this drill. And, uh, and I was willing to do it also because there are times when the church is very disappointing. Right? There, are, there are times when the church is just very disappointing. I'm not talking about when I was little and I, my parents made me go to church. I've said that, you know, I... I'd do anything I could to get out of going to church. I hit all my clothes. Uh, I, uh, I got to church and I jumped out a second floor window. We, we staged a coup in a Sunday school class in fifth grade and locked all the adults out. I'm not talking about that. And I'm also not talking about just waking up and, on a Sunday morning and saying, you know, there's people that get to go for a bike ride or there are people that are going to go to Starbucks and get the New York Times and sit around and read it. I mean, it would be nice to, you know, watch, meet the press. It would be nice to do some things. I'm talking about being involved in the middle of it in the fight and seeing it not go the way I would hope it would go and saying, really, God, this is plan A. Like, all these broken people and me, broken trying to do something that is going to last. Like, this is, this is the plan. And so I was willing to sort of go back and say, okay, I want to look at this. I want to look hard at this. And I found it to be incredibly energizing for the reasons I listed to you. I mean, I got more and more excited when I said, yes, no, this is a good plan. This is God's plan. This is a good plan. This is a plan that has been prevailing. This is a plan that is going to succeed. The church is the best investment. I got really excited about that for those reasons. And then also, just when you see lives change, or when you see people get helped, when you see see somebody who is selfish suddenly turn a corner and say, you know what, I get more joy out of helping people. Like, I'm really excited about the service. It's changing the way I think about everything. And you go, yes. It's, it's, it's slow, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one inch uh, in the pile, in the cloud of dust. It's not always what we might like, but I am persuaded that it is the best plan. And so I just want to set in front of you again, look, you've got a thousand options. Your time is going to go somewhere. 
I read in Time Magazine a few weeks ago that between June 2016 and June 2017, Americans watched 7.5 trillion more seconds of Netflix. So maybe that's where some of your time is going. I'm not down on watching TV. I'm not down on entertainment, right? We have a TV. I'm not saying you can't do that. But I'm saying, where are you investing your life? Like, where are you investing your life? And how is that going to make a difference in light of eternity? And I would argue that investing in God's mission is the way forward. So we're going to make this simple. Uh, Next week, we kick off the fall series. So we want you to pick a service, right? Between those three campuses, there's nine services. Pick a service. Be committed. Be committed. The average, the average American now attends church, that attends church, attends it 1.4 times a month. No, not going to work. <laughs> not going to work. Be committed. Get in some sort of community, right? It, look, if you're in community, if you have good friends that love God and love you, and you are intentionally walking through life with them and sharing your life and encouraging one another to love and good deeds, great. If you don't have that, then seek that out. And we've created, on all three campuses, we have created uh, opportunities for people to get into small groups. So get into a small group and make that work. And then uh, find some place to serve. Inside or outside the walls of the church, find some place to use the gifts and abilities God has given you to serve. You were created to serve. Right? This is the path forward. So uh, we have, as, as uh, you hopefully heard, we have supplements to this series, Discover Life with God. One of them is daily devotion. So you can go online. You can go online to sign up for all this. You can go online to sign up for the daily devotions that will start next Monday. Not tomorrow, but the following Monday. Um, and bring a friend. All right, so we've been talking about this uh, for some time, about uh, we, we want to love God, we want to serve others, we want to reach one. And so we had the barbecues this summer, we had the whole blessed campaign, we begin with prayer, we listen, we eat a meal, we, we serve people, we share uh, with them. So maybe the friends that you have been investing in are not ready yet. Uh, I've been... I'm going to make five invitations this week. We have coffee mugs that say Discover Life with God that are out there. They've got a little invitation in them. So if you've got somebody to invite, please pick up one of those mugs. We're going to give out mugs to everybody the following week. Right now they're out there for you to use for invitations. So you know, get in the game. Take some risks. Uh, we've got to go all in. Think of the coach making the, uh, the demands that he's making. You want to go all in on something that matters. It's not a 10-year-old soccer team, right? It's the kingdom of God. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you as your church. We recognize that we are not uh, the beautiful uh, bride of Christ that we could be or should be, and we want to move in that direction. We want to find ways to truly uh, love and serve and, and be advancing your mission to be uh, these outposts of grace, hope, and love that are, that are lifting up the name and work of Christ. So guide us to that end. We pray. Bless us. Bless us this fall. Bless other churches. May, may your church go and grow and thrive in ways that bring you joy. Use us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.